Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. When Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? I mean, come on. What are you? Are you anti-literacy? What's so bad about that? Are you anti-reading? Who wouldn't want Cubans to have books? These are good things. I mean, yeah, there was this little detail about 14,000 Cubans dying. A little thing called a revolution. And, yeah, I mean, after the initial 14,000 people were killed in the revolution, well, we, we took some businesses and we took some homes. And, okay, so we really just took all private property. And yeah, I mean, naturally, there's some more people that resisted and were upset. So then we killed about another 60,000 during the resistance. It happens. But books and literacy. Tell me that isn't a good thing. Cubans, they like to read. I mean, seriously. Seriously. To put this in perspective for you, Bernie Sanders and the literacy of of Cuba and Fidel Castro, what he brought, his gift of of reading to the island, it led to the killing of 14,000 Cubans before they were granted that wonderful literacy program in that revolution. It did lead to the killing of about another 60,000 Cubans as they were confiscating the Castro regime. Businesses, homes, possessions, as they saw fit. Now, let me put this in perspective for you. This would be the equivalent of an incoming revolution in Massachusetts. You see, the the Cuban population, the time of the Castro Revolution, it's about 7 million people. It's right about the population of Massachusetts. So imagine for a moment that you have an incoming governor that decides he's going to do it by force. So the incoming governor of Massachusetts wipes out 14,000 residents, decides he's going to take over all businesses, all homes, all personal possessions, as he sees fit, and killing another 60,000 as they confiscate things. And then at the end of it, books! And that really good reading program. Are you going to tell me there's a real problem with this one? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I am your uh, South Florida friend, Brian Mudd, host the Morning Rush, WJNO, West Palm Beach. The Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. Always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. And, of course, as the whole burn 60 Minutes fiasco played out last night, and you have a run 
a run for the races across the country in Democrat ranks, but especially here in South Florida, to disavow this guy in those comments. There's one thing that rises above all else. Clarity. The great one uh, will be back from his special, his Life, Liberty, and Levin special, 8 o'clock last night on the Fox News Channel, with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He'll be back with some incredible content for you tomorrow. But one of the things that was uh, fascinating as taking a look at the lay of the land and what's going on coming out of Nevada, what's going on with the Democrat Party, What's going on with their frontrunner, Bernie Sanders? Is actually what I was talking about with you last Thursday. I shared with you a story and some perspective that I don't believe has been readily shared and analyzed before. Rankings, progressive rankings from an activist organization, Indivisible. And I did so to illustrate a series of points. First, that there are no moderate Democrats running for president. None. Zip zero. That every one of them represents substantially less freedom than what we have today. But secondly, just how incredibly radical Bernie Sanders is. Because Bernie Sanders represents 97% less freedom than we have today. 97%. And this isn't some made-up, horse-crap kind of number. This is Bernie Sanders answering a questionnaire on what his policies represent. Bernie Sanders, in his own words, he chooses government over private solutions 97 times out of 100. Any wonder that he would think that Castro and his literacy program, not such a bad thing. It wasn't all bad. I mean, yeah, the authoritarian thing, not so great. I want you to elect me. But once you elect me, I mean, come on. We avoid that whole Bessie revolution, and then it's just great socialism and communism. That's what he's really saying. And here's the irony of it. He is the most consistent, authentic, probably honest politician running among the Democrats. It's not complicated. Bernie Sanders is who and what he's always said he is. He is a socialist. And what better friend does a socialist have than a communist? Now, one of the great things, as I've been watching the lying hypocrites, known as elected Democrats in Florida today, run for the hills. How many of them are plain stupid here? You have a lot of leadership among the Democrats that are a lot of things that are dishonest. But one thing, by and large, they are not stupid. They know damn well who and what Bernie Sanders is. They just hope that you wouldn't know. I mean, really, if you talk about the establishment, obviously, they don't want him. But to the extent that he's a player and they're concerned about having the young socialist wing that their education establishment has created in this country, the things that, hey, socialism is kind of fun and cool, doesn't realize that it is responsible for the killing of 73,000 people in Cuba alone, let alone the ongoing repression for decades. Those people. But these 
Democrats that are now disavowing these comments. I'll give you an idea. There are two. There were House seats that flipped in South Florida in 2018 that Republicans need to take back this year in order to regain control of the House. One, Florida's 27th Congressional District. This includes parts of Broward and Miami. Donna Shalala, who was Health and Human Services Secretary under Clinton, she's a freshman representative now in Congress. She had this to say about the burn. I'm hoping that in the future, Senator Sanders will take the time to speak to some of my constituents before he decides to sing the praises of a murderous tyrant like Fidel Castro. What kind of horse crap is that? I'm hoping in the future, Senator Sanders will take the time to speak to some of my constituents. He didn't know prior to what he said, what Castro did. You think we're stupid? I don't think you're that stupid. I just think you count on the people that you have recruited through your ranks due to your education establishment that has misled generations of Americans now. I just think you count on them being ignorant enough to think that you make sense when you say something like that. Donna Shalala is part of the problem. Donna Shalala has got to go. Here's another one. Debbie Mercasell Powell, Florida's 26th Congressional District. This includes part of South Miami and the Keys. She had this to say. As the first South American immigrant member of Congress who proudly represents thousands of Cuban Americans, I find Senator Bernie Sanders' comments on Castro's Cuba absolutely unacceptable. Well, thank you for that one. Debbie Mercasella, way to lead. Part of the problem. Remember, there are no moderates. Not running for president and not these people. In fact, these two that I just pointed out, and here's the great irony of ironies. These two seats flipped in 2018 from Republicans to Democrats, right? Guess what? They have two of the five most liberal voting records in the House of Representatives currently. And they, like all Democrats across this state and most states, voted to impeach President Trump. Talk about that a bit more in the implications in a separate conversation later in the show. But here's the greater point. You would have to be stupid to buy into the crap of any of these people. And I mentioned on Thursday that you need to be careful what you wish for. I know a lot of Republicans that think, hey, it would be great if Bernie Sanders is the candidate. To a certain extent, you hear President Trump even suggest this at times. Because, hey, he'll be easy to beat and down ballot will end up raking on the right. It'll be so much easier to win these congressional seats if we only have Bernie at the top. Maybe you might be right. But the problem is, anytime you have an election... There's a chance the other candidate wins. Remember, the left wanted Donald Trump. How'd that work out for them? Be careful what you wish for. And rather than having Bernie Sanders at the top of the ticket to end up flipping Congress and everything else, how about just making better decisions, period? The stakes are too high. Something that I referenced as well on Thursday, as I was depicting just how incredibly radical Bernie Sanders and other Democrats happen to be. 
pointed out that what they represent is something that we might not be able to recover from. Every superpower, every world empire in human history has collapsed, right? Are we so unique? And in the grand scheme of human history, we're a young country. You think that we couldn't collapse if we had a socialist, a dyed-in-the-wool socialist as president of the United States? Damn straight we could. Democrats controlled everything. Guess what you have these days? Because that's who and what they are. There are no moderates left. They must be defeated. And also, as I've referenced about Bloomberg, at least he's a capitalist. And that's more than you can say for many Democrats anymore. We're just getting warmed up. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. The President of the United States is a pathological liar, and it is increasingly clear that many people just don't believe anything that he says. He is a fraud. I look forward to taking him on. (laughs) You notice how we... uh... Just a coincidence that happened right after he called the president a pathological liar. Uh, there's irony in all this. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter. Talking about the 60 Minutes interview, the one that so many Democrats are standing away from, running away from in some instances, disemboweling in others. The comments made about not all things that Castro did were bad. And I mentioned how honest Bernie Sanders really is being. It's who he always has been. If you were so ignorant, you didn't pay attention, that's your problem. Inform yourself. But it's completely consistent with his ideology, with his philosophy, going back decades. Which is why all of us, that your godless souls and slanderous news media, right off as being those right-wing talk show host types, It's why it's so important, because we've been the ones telling the truth about this for how long? While news media has been providing cover to somebody like Bernie Sanders and to the Democrat Party so that your front runner, your front runner for president among Democrats is a socialist who's friendly with communists, because that's what socialists do. They're friendly with communists. You know, I um, 
I've been a broadcaster in talk show host in South Florida for uh, over 15 years now. And so I, I cover all of southeastern Florida. This includes communities like Hialeah, Little Havana, Cubans all throughout South Florida. And you can only imagine the emotions today. I've been hearing it all day. And I was thinking about a couple of my friends as well that I heard from. So give you an idea of what things were like. A couple of my friends that have operated a successful business for over 30 years now. They came over as small children in a desperate situation, makeshift watercraft with their parents. And who were their parents? Doctors. They were both doctors in Cuba. They made good lives for themselves. Had a nice home, had property, small farm. Did well, well respected in the community. And they'll tell the stories of what they remember as small children. As Castro's thugs came in and seized their property. Took everything from them. And the decision that was made by their parents. It's prominent doctors. To leave with nothing but what they had on their backs. And to try to make their way over here. And then getting over here and trying to figure out what to do next. Now, they couldn't operate as medical doctors in the United States because the standards in Cuba, different from medical standards in the United States. Plus, and talking about Cuban refugees back around 60. So what did they do? Well, the parents wanted to work in a hospital. They wanted to work in medicine. So they both became members of the janitorial staff at a hospital in Miami. Can you imagine? Just to try to start to get things back on track for their kids and to give them a chance in the United States because of everything that had been taken that they had worked their lives for by Fidel Castro. And to a certain extent, and they'll tell you this, they're kind of the lucky ones because they weren't killed. As I mentioned, over 70,000 were. That's what communism does. That's what communism is. That's what socialism is related to. And that's what the Democrat Party protects these days. It's dangerous. Playing with Bernie Sanders, playing with these Democrats, unacceptable. They must be defeated. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, 
and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Where Americans meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. That's right. That's right. We don't like the authoritarian side. We want you to elect us because I don't like getting my hands real messy. You might have noticed, not really my thing. So I don't want to have to go in there and kill people. I just want you to vote for me, and then we have communism. Right? That's when all the good stuff happens. That's the difference between Fidel Castro and Bernie Sanders. Castro killed people in a revolution. Bernie Sanders simply wants you to vote for him, and then he'll take control of everything. Cool? Copacetic? See? It's all good at that point, isn't it? That is your Democrat frontrunner. And what's really interesting... What's really instructive in the context of this conversation, even though, but a judge, I mean, to the extent that Iowa has produced results, even to the extent that they say, hey, uh, you know, but a judge won Iowa. You know that Bernie Sanders actually won the most votes. So here's what this tells you about the Democrat Party that must be defeated, must be opposed everywhere you see it, because this is what it tolerates. This is what it lends credibility to. Evil. Pure, out-and-out evil. Because socialism and communism is. What's really instructive, Bernie Sanders won the most votes in Iowa, too. So here you have, in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in Nevada, three pretty diverse states, right? Someone who goes, hey, you know that Castro? Not so bad. And about the literacy. I mean, who doesn't like reading, right? That is the preferred candidate. What does that tell you about the destruction that will be brought on this country if we allow the Democrats to win? I don't care if it's a local election or the president of the United States. Democrats must be defeated. And don't buy the horse crap from all your representatives and from the DNC and whomever else that goes, oh, Bernie, you shouldn't have said that. Bull crap. They're not that stupid. They know what he stands for and represents. They're just mad that he ended up saying it. It's kind of like the Houston Astros. The reason as spring training's underway and they're still the biggest story down here is because nobody believes that they're sorry for anything. Like anybody else, they're sorry they got caught. The Houston Astros were actually sorry. Players that turn back their World Series ring say, we don't deserve this championship. We won't personally recognize it. They'll also give back the money they ended up receiving for winning the World Series. That would be a starting point for the conversation. It's kind of like Bernie Sanders. The only thing these Democrats are sorry for is that Bernie, Bernie, you actually said it out loud. You can't do that on the national stage. You can only do that in the closed circles where we get together and you fundraise. Don't you know better? Mm. Let's go to Bob in D.C. Bob, go. Bob, no, Tom. Hey, Bob, you're up. Is this me? You're up. Yeah, Tom. Uh, the reason I want to call is to back you on this, to say you have to remember, 
the Communist Party USA stopped running its own candidates after 1984. The leadership came out at that time and said they believed that, that the Democrat Party had come far enough to the left that they could work with them. And you remember what happened there. Those of us who are old enough remember. Back then, the Democrats just fawned all over Mikhail Gorbachev and absolutely reviled Ronald Reagan. They were on the Soviet side. And sure it came out later, boy, this was buried by the, uh, by the Clinton administration, but it turns out, regarding colluding with the Russians, Ted Kennedy, the senator, Ted Kennedy, contacted the KGB and was asking for their assistance and helping to get rid of Reagan in 84. They were trying to get, hey, boy, you never heard a thing about this. There's no Trump-Russia collusion. It's their beloved lion of the Senate who has born this. So it's been a long time coming. But I would wish to point out, because this is my background, and the, so the only difference between the communist socialists and what the Democrats are pulling for is under socialism they want government ownership. What our Democrats seek is not ownership. Of course, they'll run it through regulation. They'll leave businesses to be owned by, by the private sector. But once they make a profit, they'll sweep in and seize the lion's share of their profit, which, for all intents and purposes, is pretty much the same thing. It has the Tom, same suppressive effect. Well done. Well said. 100% right. I mean, all you're talking about really is, is the next generation, so to speak. You had Solinsky, you had Bill Ayers, you had Bernie Sanders. You're absolutely right about Gorbachev, the whole Kennedy thing. All right, let's go to Michelle, or actually, let's go to uh, Anna in Fort Lauderdale. Looks like one of my South Florida listeners. Anna, go. Hey there, how are you this, uh, this evening? Yeah, doing well. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to be on here. Uh, I just want to start off in saying I'm, I guess, technically of the millennial generation. I'm 25 years old. I'm from the South Florida area. I know this very well, and I have a different perspective on this because I'm, I come from a family of Cubans, really. I'm Cuban descent. My great-grandparents fled the country in the early 60s. My grandfather was a teenager when he had to come to this country by himself. Um, you know, he had to come to a country he didn't know anything of, no, you know, no understanding of the culture other than what was taught to him, very little. Um, but what I do have to say is a literacy program, Bernie Sanders, that's what you have to add to the conversation of what Fidel Castro did to my family. And let's just say 90 to 100 percent of the families in South Florida and throughout the United States, it's a farce. It's a lie. Um, I can add so many things, including the literacy program itself. It was a lie because, number one, they did teach women how to read and write their name. Um, but you were not allowed to choose what you got to read and write, which, you know, is very common in a communist socialist country. So that's number one. And... I I just want people to be aware of the listeners. I understand that there's people from across the country that, you know, maybe they know very little about Cuba. I can kind of understand that. I, I don't know everything about everything. But um, right here and right now, during this presidential election, if there are listeners right now that are just unsure about whether or not they want to choose for Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders, understand this. Socialism is real. Socialism exists. 
There are countries like Cuba that were prospering, that had beautiful uh, stores, department stores. They had prospering companies. My My grandparents, they had a prospering shoe company in Cuba. They lost all of that. They lost everything. They came to this country and started all over again. I'm very grateful to be from the United States of America, but it's very real. I have friends from Venezuela that they lost everything. They had to start all over again. And people from Nicaragua and other communist countries, this is not a joke. This is not something we can play around with. Anna, God bless you and keep preaching it. And and thank you for being there. Now, if you have ever on the show in times previous heard me talk about immigrants in South Florida, saving the United States from itself, really saving this country from socialism. Because I've heard plenty of listeners that have shot back at me and said, no, no, you're full of it. I mean, that's where the problem is. They bring their socialism with them. I'm not saying that some don't. You do have some that bring those socialist ideas from you know, some of the South American countries. But I'll tell you, overwhelmingly, Venezuelans get it here. Tell you overwhelmingly, Cubans do. Most immigrants come from any type of background. Where they've seen it firsthand, they get it. And whatever the politics might be on specific social issues, they know damn well what socialism is. They know damn well what communism is. And when you hear someone like Anna espouse it the way she does, it might help you understand where I'm coming from. Because, again, these are the voices in South Florida. They will help save this country from itself, I believe. Let's go to Abe in Miami. Abe, go. Yes, sir. Abe. Hey, Abe, you're up. Hi. 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 I'm a 75-year-old Cuban exile, now a proud American citizen for many years. And I want to tell you something. The story about the two two doctors, you can repeat it 100,000 times. Okay. My family fought against Batista, the dictator. Two months later, we were fighting against Castro, but it was too late. And Cuba had free education before Castro, had free public hospital. We didn't know what we had. We thought Batista was bad. We jumped into from the whatever from the pan to the fire. And, you know, Sanders is not what we want. Definitely it's not what we want. I'm also a proud Republican. Thank you, Abe. May God bless you, and uh, again, you know, keep spreading the message, and including to the next generation. It's extremely important that it's not lost. Let's go to Bill in Raleigh. Bill, go. Hello. Uh, I grew up in uh, South Florida in the 50s. I remember when Castro came to power, and then I moved to Lakeland. When I moved to Lakeland, I was in my 30s, and I had a neighbor. They were two Cuban physicians, a husband and wife. They actually sent their children out two years prior to them getting out, not knowing if they'd ever see them again. It, it, it was that bad. And when he got to, when they got to Miami, he drove an ambulance. Uh, Dr. Hernandez drove an ambulance for about two, three years before he could get certified. And his wife worked at, you know, odd jobs and whatnot. And they just, uh, you know, they lived the American dream. But he was an internist. And I can remember he had a, hit a lab on site. That he did he so he could get uh, tests to his uh, patients real quick and it was losing money and I sure. asked him I said well why would you do that if you're losing money on it and as soon as I asked the question it was like a dumb question he said you know my patients need that information guy was just 
These are dedicated people, and they were they were so successful so quickly because they had just a tremendous work ethic. Uh, and and it was it was an honor to you know to have them as neighbors. One last thing, I can remember Look Magazine or it might have been Life Magazine when Castro first came to power. They had a title that said, "Aren't on the cover? Aren't we fortunate that Castro is not communist?" I don't know if you remember that. It's remarkable, uh, Bill. Thank you for sharing your story and the account. Uh, these are the stories that are real. This is what communism. This is what socialism does. What's going on in Venezuela in real time with Maduro? That is what socialism does. And news media, by and large, your godless Olson Slender's news media, they don't share these stories. They don't go find these families that we're talking about, or in some cases we're talking to. Instead, they allow someone like Bernie Sanders to go this far, unvetted, unchecked, for what he represents. Now, the truth be told, if you're paying attention at all, you should know better, because again, Bernie Sanders might be the most consistent an honest so-called Democrat in the race. But this is real. Let's go to Jim in Brooklyn. Jim, go. Hi, I had the honor of attending several meetings of former Cuban political prisoners in, on Bergen Line Avenue in New Jersey. I was even assigned a translator because I don't speak Spanish. I'm not Cuban, but I, I'm an anti-communist activist. There's only a few of us in this country. <laughs> but we did really good anti-commie work. The Castro supporters and Castro's people set up a, an event at the Jacob Javits Center. I believe it was January 25th, 1991. We had a huge democracy for Cuba, anti-Castro rally outside. So I was in charge. I brought Vietnamese, Chinese, Polish, Ukrainian. We even had a couple of freedom fighters that fought the Soviets in Afghanistan out there protesting Castro. It was really beautiful. There's nobody as patriotic and knowledgeable and activistic for freedom and against communism than the Cubans. Nobody, very few people I know other than the Cubans are actually involved in this stuff. Now, Bernie Sanders is a communist. Communism is the last stage. Under basic Marxism, you go from slavery, it gets a little better, you get feudalism. After feudalism, you go on to capitalism, which the communists know brings development and investment and modernization. After capitalism, you go to socialism. After socialism, you get to communism. So a lot of communists say they're socialists. It doesn't sound scary, especially if you say democratic socialist. Bernie Sanders, as you said, visited the Soviet Union. He supported Castro. He's a communist. The head of the American Communist Party years ago said the best way to help the cause of communism is through the liberal wing of the Democratic Party. There really is no liberal wing anymore in the Democratic Party. It's Marxist. It's Marxist-Leninist. It's communist. You're right, and that's why they must be defeated. They must be defeated at the local level. They must be defeated at the federal level. Democrats today must be defeated. This party needs to be destroyed, and it needs to reset from scratch, because what it represents right now is an evil ideology. Uh, And uh, thank you for the call. Appreciate you fighting the good fight, especially from Brooklyn. I know you don't have numbers. All right. uh, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd, love in. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, 
have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. When I was in the House year after year after year, I passed more bipartisan amendments than anybody else in the House. There you go. Bernie Sanders, the bipartisan socialist. You know, it's fascinating. I mean, they just expect you to be stupid. Now, not speaking to what he did in the House, but the man has a track record in the Senate. And there are a couple of things that are instructive about his Senate track record. The first is this. Do you know what his bipartisan rate is? Meaning the percentage of the time on legislation in the Senate, he votes with Republicans. It's 12.6%. That's it. In fact, the only two who are less bipartisan happen to be Elizabeth Warren. And here's one that would be probably a surprise. The the wannabe, Kirsten Gillibrand, another failed presidential candidate. Yeah, Gillibrand is actually the farthest to the left, the least likely to cooperate of anybody in the Senate. But yes, the bird. He ranks as the 97th least bipartisan senator. But other than that, you know, he's a really cool kind of socialist, like Castro, you know, communist. All right, so something that I've wanted to uh, to put in front of you, I, I believe in not just education and information that we share, but a way for you to be able to reach other people. And when we're talking about communism and trying to educate, especially kids, our kids, the prophet in Cuba was a really well-done show. It's a CNBC show, The Prophet, uh, that stars Marcus Lemonis, who's the CEO of Camping World. The show, generally, I just like. My wife and I watch it. Uh, both have business interests, and Marcus usually in, invests in distressed small businesses, helps them out, uh, turning them around, people and process and all that. But he did a show, The Prophet in Cuba, that really illustrated the conditions on the ground. Like, for example, the average Cuban earning less in a month than the average American does in an hour. Yeah, that's right. Back then, $25 per month. That was the communist wage. Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 
to every citizen across this nation. America loves India. America respects India. And America will always be faithful and loyal friends to the Indian people. You hear that? Do you hear that? Just incredible. I get into work at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I see the president getting ready 3 o'clock this morning, Eastern Time, to go into this venue in India with Prime Minister Modi. And I'm taking a look at it, and I'm like, holy crap, that place is huge. And it's kind of hard, you know, because it's a different stadium than what you've seen before. But if you're familiar with, like, the Big House or Rocky Top, when you see a stadium that's over 100,000 in capacity, it just is that different. And I'm taking a look at this going... I have no idea exactly how many seats that place. I think it might be 100,000. And then we hear, yeah, 110,000 in every seat in the House taken. And you hear the response from President Trump? You remember when Trump went to Israel and all throughout his trip, you would see the banners. If you could find media that would show it to you, there'd be banners, Trump supporters. All over the place. That's what it was like when he went to India today. Trump banners everywhere. And I got to tell you, for the upcoming Trump rallies, I got some work to do. As impressive as a good Trump rally is, competing with 110,000 Indians that are just on cloud nine, excited as could be about the president of the United States and the message that he was delivering to them, and got some work to do. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. The Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. Always an honor and a pleasure being here with you. You may follow me on Twitter, at Brian Mudd Radio. The great one, Mark Levin, is coming back from Israel. Fresh off of his Fox News Life, Liberty, and Levin special last night with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as they get ready for their unprecedented third national election in under a year. This one's huge. He'll have plenty for you coming up tomorrow. But one thing that uh, I was thinking about is we've been talking about in the first hour, the importance of Democrats being defeated, not just for typical left-right reasons, but because there needs to be an absolute crushing of the current state of the Democrat Party and rebuilding from scratch because what they represent today is not acceptable. It's a party that allows a socialist who supports communists that are responsible for the deaths of tens of thousands of innocent people and said, hey, but about that literacy program, I mean, come on, it's not all bad. Somebody who is able to lead a party with that type of ideology is no one and no party that is acceptable in the United States of America. Freedom has never been free. And if we take it for granted, we're going to learn that the hard way. It's always our responsibility not to let it happen on our watch. This is that time. And I talked about this a little bit over the course of time. So much of what this country is up against has been a long time coming, including this socialist movement by Bernie Sanders. 
And the underpinnings are very similar to what we've seen in the deep state. And when we've been talking about over the past two, three years, the conspiracy against Trump, everything from the creation of the Steele dossier with the coordination of top-level, multiple top-level officials at the Justice Department and at intelligence agencies, in coordination with the State Department, with the DNC, with Hillary Clinton's campaign, with their law firm. How could you have so many people, so many influential people, that would be so comfortable going from one to another to another, creating and laying the groundwork for a conspiracy. Unless it was institutionalized for an awfully long time, right? It wasn't like it was some new thing where you just suddenly had a bunch of top-level officials at Justice and in the intelligence agencies and at the State Department and at the DNC and within Hillary Clinton's campaign that said, hey, you know, I just came up with an idea, see what you think about this one, and then tell you know, tell everybody you run into and see if it sticks. It doesn't happen like that, right? There has to be such an institutionalized corruption that had been playing out for years to get to that place. And again, all eyes on Durham. If he was Mueller and your godless soul since Landers News Media was covering him, you would know everything that's happening every day with his investigation. But what he's doing is important work. What Attorney General Bill Barr is doing, important work. Now, getting back to the Democrat Party, much the same way that the deep state took many years to create, what you're seeing here goes back decades. The breaking down of education in this country, the co-opting of our education establishment by socialists, by those who are the radicals, by those who are behind rules for radicals. It's all part of it. Take over the education establishment. The breaking down in the 60s to the creation of the Department of Education in 1980 when the United States ranked second in the world in education outcomes, second only to Australia, to where we've continued to slide into the teens and in many subjects into the 20s today with no end in sight. And an education establishment that could allow tens of millions of Americans to think that socialism is somehow or another acceptable. And even in the public sense, the manifesting of this movement decades in the making actually began in a very visible way, not in the 2016 cycle with Bernie Sanders, but really what happened in response to the Tea Party movement, Occupy Wall Street, the undercurrent of what you see today manifested in the Democrat Party, which is now led by socialist Bernie Sanders. It is the Occupy Wall Street movement. And as that current began to grow and grow and grow, you ended up seeing it manifested in Bernie Sanders' initial run in 2016. Then you saw it actually come to fruition across the country as many overt socialists won congressional seats. And now you're seeing it come full circle with the leadership, the leading candidate for president of the United States and the Democrat Party to be a socialist. This is everything 
that they've been working on. And the question is, now what? You can't take a party that has allowed these conditions to exist, that allow a socialist who is willing to pay homage to communist murderers. You can't take a party that fosters that and just rearrange the deck chairs a little bit and say everything's okay. You must defeat it everywhere it exists. Because Democrats, even at the local level, when they're elected, are part of that party and part of that problem. So the bigger issue becomes, how do we get there? Now, there's so many similarities. You had Trump. Trump came about and he did what? After years of this yin-yang back and forth between the Tea Party and the Republican establishment, the tug-of-war was gone with Trump. He just kind of smashed the whole thing, and he remade the Republican Party. Something like that needs to happen with Democrats. And in this case, I feel it's this moment in which Democrats that actually care more about this country and more about freedom than their damn political party say enough is enough. This is not okay. This is not my political party. And you let the thing go. Because I can talk all day long and I can try to inform and educate. But it comes down to you. If you're on the left, doing what is right, not what has been your political ideology or the lever you have pulled for however long. Today has got to be that day. This year has got to be that year in which you say enough is enough. This is not my party. And let the thing collapse. Let the thing break under its own corruption so it can be rebuilt. And whomever, a leader that represents something that appreciates American free enterprise and values, something like that, that we can once again rally around. And it's not, you know, all that far of a, a, a thought that something more positive couldn't be rebuilt. I've used the example about Reagan. If you go back to the mid-70s and you take a look after Nixon, would anybody have ever imagined that a decade later, you would have a Republican president of the United States winning 49 states? Nobody, not even Reagan, would have guessed as much. So it can be rebuilt. There can be something great that could come out of Democrats once again, but not this party. Not right now. Must be defeated around every single turn. Because what it represents today, with Bernie Sanders at the top, is something that the United States of America does not represent. I'm going to walk through some positions once again. You tell me what you think of these positions. Pro-reparations for the elimination of all private charter schools. No student loan debt, free college and puppies for all, for the abolition of the Electoral College, restoration of felon voting rights without financial restitution to victims, for personal and corporate carbon taxes, for a national gun registry, no limits on abortion, and for higher personal and corporate taxes, even independent of the carbon taxes. Now, again, 
That happens to be Pete Buttigieg. If you add Medicare for all to that, now you got Bernie Sanders. That's the only difference, which again, there are no moderates. This party must be defeated. And I don't care what your godless, soulless, and slanderous news media tries to paint in terms of pictures about other moderates as they get desperate because they realize, holy crap, Bernie Sanders is now the leader. Two sides of stories, one side of facts, and I'm going to bring you some very specific information about what's on the line next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. is Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin, and there are not any moderate Democrats running for president. Last Thursday, in very specific terms, I presented to you ratings based upon how progressive, how much government intervention, how much less freedom the Democrats represented. That was before everything ended up uh, taking on a life of its own with the Nevada caucus over the weekend. And I heard from hundreds of you, and I've still been receiving. One of the things I love about you as an audience, not only how informed and engaged you are, so many. You might hear something I say in passing. You go back. You listen to the podcast. You end up asking questions. We do follow-ups. And I really understand the information that is helpful and useful to you to be able to not only get your, your arms around it, but to share it with other people. And this was a story that I put together. Uh, it is... Uh, tweeted, going back uh, to last Thursday, at Brian Mudd Radio on Twitter, so you can get it, take, read, and share if you're inclined. But Indivisible is one of the leading progressive activist organizations. And they ask the Democrat candidates about policy positions, and they rate them based upon how progressive they actually are. And we're able, based upon that score, to understand how much less freedom they represent. Now, in their scoring, Trump was a zero. What that means is, given an opportunity to choose a private sector solution versus a government solution, every time, 100 out of 100, Trump will choose the private sector. But when it comes to the Democrats, again, there are no moderates. Joe Biden is a 40. What that means is, 40 times out of 100, he chooses government over you. That represents policy that is 40% less free than what you have today. Joe Biden represents 40% less freedom, 40% more government 
than Donald Trump. Amy Klobuchar is a 42, 42% less freedom. And then there's good old Pete Buttigieg, the person that uh, mainstream media, your godless Olson Slanders news media, with regularity would call the moderate. He's to the left of Barack Obama. Obama's score was a 66, meaning two-thirds out of the time, yeah, Obama would take the government over you. But Pete Buttigieg, he goes even farther. 71% of the time, Pete Buttigieg chooses government over freedom. And what about Elizabeth Warren? Good old friend Pocahontas. 94% government. 94% less freedom in policy than Donald Trump. And then there's Bernie Sanders. And we talked about this quite a bit last Thursday. 97% less freedom. Is that any surprise? When you hear him supporting some of Fidel's Castro, Fidel Castro's progress because, hey, you know, literacy, that was pretty good, huh? Never mind all the people killed and all the you know, possessions confiscated and all the lives ruined. Literacy, it's, you know, some good things here. 97 times out of 100, Bernie Sanders will choose government over you. Government solutions over private sector solutions. Bernie Sanders represents 97% less freedom. But again, none of these people are moderates. They are all radicals that represent a dramatic shift from the policy you have today with the record prosperity that we enjoy in this country 30. to radicalism and in a way that we've not seen in this country, not in decades. This is your time. This is your choice. You got to take the information. You got to share it with others. And this Democrat Party must be defeated. Local level, federal level, they've got to go down. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great one, Mark Levin. An unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. My administration is working in a very positive way with Pakistan to crack down on the terrorist organizations and militants that operate on the Pakistani border. Yeah, look at that. It seems like the only people who like Islamic terrorists anymore are the Democrats. That was 110,000 large in India this morning, our time. President Trump with Modi over there. I mean, you want to talk about enthusiasm again. A lot of work to be done. The next Trump rally. It's going to be tough to top that one. I'm Brian Muddy in for the great one, Mark Levin. And talking about how fundamentally broken... The Democrat Party is how there are no more moderates left, how every one of them represents a dramatic shift from freedom and free enterprise to government, right down to Bernie Sanders, the leader of the Democrats, representing 97 percent less freedom if he were to enact all of his policies, 97 percent less freedom than what we have today with President Trump. Now, a lot of people hear that and go, oh, come on. It's just no, uh-uh. The same as people this morning 
We're one. How did Bernie Sanders? What was he saying about Castro? And yet, all the Democrats that came out and pretending like we don't know where that came from. Bad Bernie. Bull crap. It's who he's always been. Just read what he represents. Listen to his message. It's been there for decades. And then defeat it around every turn. This party must be defeated because this is now what it represents. 97% less freedom. Not acceptable. Let's go to Attila in Wisconsin. Go. Hi, hi Brian. Hey, hey, before I get to my three-part question for you, I'd just like to point out how uh, Bernie, although he's upfront about his communist intentions, he remains a hypocrite. Remember just not long ago when he got his emergency medical treatment? <laughs> it sure as hell wasn't got, he didn't do that in Cuba, Venezuela, the Soviet Union, or Denmark. He didn't even go to Canada. He got it done here in the U.S. And Castro, he got his emergency, uh, uh, colon cancer surgery done, uh, from medical experts from Spain. So they're a bunch of hypocrites. You, you just reminded me, speaking of the hypocrite with Bernie. Uh, so I mentioned uh, just a bit ago that the only difference between the policies with Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders was Medicare for all. There's one other one. There's one other big difference. Two houses, two additional houses that Bernie Sanders has. Uh, continue. Tell him. Yeah, I mean it, it, that's another great point. I mean, uh, why does he need Brian? Why does he need three houses? Some people don't, don't even have any, so maybe he should he should uh, be quiet and and start practicing what he's preaching. Well, he's he going to about, redistribute them to uh, the homeless in San Francisco. I understand that's what he's doing uh, because you know Bernie Sanders would never let the homeless in San Francisco down. Uh, so he is going to redistribute as part of his presidential platform to how, because it's the only, the only honorable thing for any socialist to do. <laughs> and, uh, Brian, if the Democrat party rigs yet another primary race against, uh, St. Bernard, does he take his followers with him to being, uh, independent, thus destroying the Democrat party? Well, and th last, do you think anyone calls Bernie Nomack out on on his top campaign staff when when uh, what they said in the Project Veritas videos? Oh, I, Project Veritas. Uh, well, that, that's a whole other. And yes, uh, in terms of the Bernie Bros and what they will do to mess people up, uh, they are very, uh, very much dangerous. And in that, you know, is another part of this message. It makes. Uh, not really for a big surprise if you understand what communists and socialists represent, that they would be okay about abusing people who do not agree with them. Uh, I mean, take a look at the violence against Trump supporters. Who is it that ultimately are doing these, these things? Is it likely the Michael Bloomberg guy who's going out there and beating, maybe even threatening to kill or killing the person wearing the Trump hat? No, it is often somebody who is among the most radical. Who are the most radical? Well, back to your socialists and communists. So when you take a look at uh, the, the lay of the land uh, with what you're talking about, if Bernie, you know, does if they pull the rug out from under him, contest convention, what have you, does he take his supporters with him? I, I hope so. I mean, again, whatever it is, there needs to be a collapse of the Democrat Party. There needs to be a reset in that party, just like what happened with Republicans after Nixon. The thing it ended up being broken. And out of that, we got Ronald Reagan. And we had a rebuilding and, and prosperity unlike we had seen. And, you know, 
getting there, and a lot of people will take a look at Jimmy Carter, and we were talking about education, the education establishment, Department of Education. Many will take a look at, at Jimmy Carter, and I, uh, I'm from Georgia. Some of us affectionately refer to him as Captain Peanut. Uh, sometimes you, you know, feel like a nut. Other times you actually govern like one. But when you take a look at Captain Peanut, it wasn't his economic incompetence. That was his biggest failure. Wasn't the Iran hostage crisis. That was his biggest failure. Those were things that we could recover from. The biggest failure and his longest lasting legacy is the Department of Education. It's the reason we're in this situation right now. It's the reason that Bernie Sanders is the leader of the Democrats in the first place. Yes, the ball got rolling in the 60s with the Supreme Court and the overhauling of the education establishment and rules for radicals being worked into our education. But you, you needed some kind of central planning because you had all these school districts all across the country. How is it that we can program all of them? How is it that we can ensure that God, faith, that a sense of anything greater than oneself, like Mr. Byrne, because he's a non-believer. How is it that we can make sure that gets through all across these states? Well, we'll create a department, Department of Education. That is Captain Peanut's biggest legacy. It's what has brought us to this place, and it's part of what also has to be undone. We need to get back to education, where we actually have a premise that is based on something that is greater than oneself. That is a, another lie of socialism and communism. Let's go to Jim, Long Island. Jim, go. Hello there, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Thank you. I just wanted to touch base on universities, uh, because you know, I'm sure, they are the incubators of Marxism throughout the country. For sure. And I want to make people aware of the fact that they exempt themselves from those debilitating effects. Most universities, and I know this for a fact because I work at one, are non-profit. And what that means is they remove all of their properties from the t property tax rolls. So they do not contribute to the needs of the communities that they're in in that regard. And that might not seem like much, but when you consider that universities like Columbia University and New York University in the city of New York are two of the top three property owners in the city of New York, Take a moment and think about that. Two of the top three property owners, how much property is off the tax rolls? And that's just two universities with yeah, tuitions that run sixty to $70,000 a year and salaries for their presidents that are over a million dollars a year and faculty averaging $150,000 to $500,000 a year to indoctrinate students on the benefits and glories of Marxism. Yeah, Jim, you make several good points, none the least of which is the actual cost of the education. This gets back to creating the problem. Government and these entities, which are in, in part funded by government, that create the problem. There's never been a reason for education to rise in cost faster than the rate of inflation. There's no commodity associated with education that would ever force such a thing. Yet you take a look at the cost increase of college education over, the, over time. Why did it happen? Now, one of the things that was interesting in Florida going back several years ago, our university system in the state 
has been ranked for the past couple of years the best overall value in the country. And the reason is we have next to no increase in college tuition for several years now. We go, well, why is that? Well, years ago, I ended up uh, putting together the rate of inflation, the cost uh, of college education, and seeing that consistently, whether it was in Florida, anywhere USA, there was an increase in cost of 5 to 7% most years above the rate of inflation. That's just the education establishment gorging itself, creating an unnecessary, less affordable product, and then trying to do what? Use that as an issue to bring socialist values to the forefront. Yes, there should be forgiveness of student loan debt. Yes, uh, there should be free college and puppies for everybody. Create the problem and then fix it. But back to Florida's situation. So one of the things that I am very driven by is policy. I don't like just espousing ideas and, and pointing out facts. From a point of research, I do like providing information to help craft public policy where it's possible. And the Scott administration ended up uh, you know, presenting ideas about, hey, what if, because money does come from the state for these schools, what if any college in the state of Florida, if they increase the cost of tuition above the rate of inflation in any given year, they lose 100% of state funds. How about we propose making something like that happen and see how quickly the problem is fixed? Well, guess what? Here we are in Florida all these years later, and it's worked. That needs to be done across the country, just FYI. And for any public officials that are listening as well that get it, you should do that and now. But yes, it's all part of the plan. Indoctrination, creating the problem, enriching themselves. Because remember, like any good communist and socialist, like Bernie Sanders, for example, in his three houses, multimillionaire status. They don't want to be poor like you. They've got theirs. They just want to make sure they can control you from on high. That's where it's sweet. That's where the action is good. Let's go to Bill in Norwalk. Bill, go. Yeah, hi, uh, Brian. What I wanted to say was uh, if, Brian, if Bernie Sanders gets the, uh, not, the, not, the Democratic nomination, uh, I've been a lifelong Republican, and I can remember 1964 when we had uh, someone who was regarded as equally uh, uh, extreme uh, when Barry Goldwater was the nominee, and that practically re destroyed the Republican Party. Now, if Bernie is the nominee, I predict that that's what's going to happen. Well, let's – if it comes to that, hope so. But again, the danger is that it does. And the one thing I will warn any Republican against, because I hear it every single day, there are, I mean, streams of Republicans out there right now talking about how great it is that Bernie Sanders is leading the Democrats because he will be so easy to beat in November and he uh, will end up hurting Democrats down ballot. And all I got to say is if he's the candidate, there's a chance he can win. And however small it is, it's something that's unacceptable. So be careful what you wish for. It's not something we want to see right now. And I'll actually have a chance to get to this coming up uh, in just a few minutes. The winner in the clubhouse is still a brokered convention. And I'll explain exactly where we stand. And be mindful that our buddy Bloomberg isn't even in the mix yet. 
but he's about to be in a pretty big way. And uh, we'll talk about that coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. This is a joke. It's another Russian witch hunt hoax. Uh, it started when this president took uh, over in the White House, and it continues today. They cannot get past themselves on these Russian lies. Ah, uh, yes. Russia 2.0. That is uh, Hogan Gidley, press secretary in America's newsroom. And, I mean, look, you, you want to talk about bitter clingers. I mean, if Obama thought uh, the bitter cleaner clingers to God and guns was something... Holy cow, can you imagine how invested people are in Russia collusion? And you got a lot of people whose freedom literally rests on such a thing. And a lot of desperation out there. And again, I say watch Durham. I still have confidence he'll do the right thing. I still have confidence that Bill Barr came back to his old post as Attorney General because he realized just how much crap needed to be fixed in the Department of Justice. Which, by the way, is not going to happen in just one term. Another reason it's imperative that Donald Trump beats whichever of these anti-freedom Democrats wins the nomination. Now, one of the things that uh, I do is a series called All About the Delegates. And as we take a look at the results from the Nevada caucus, first thing is, round of applause for Nevada. They actually have 100% reporting. Yeah, they actually counted all the votes finally. So it does look like we have a definitive Nevada caucus result, which is actually more than you can still say about Iowa, right? But it's not entirely without controversy, because these are the Democrats after all. So, you know, clearly they have problems running elections. And you have Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden's camps that are saying, you know what? We think there were irregularities, and they're calling on some recounts to happen. But here's another thing that is interesting. Remember how we've been conditioned in all these different states that with the new rules by the Democrats, first, only uh, if we get to a contested convention do superdelegates come into play. That was to guard against the rigging against Bernie Sanders that happened in favor of Hillary Clinton back in 2016. So that was one. But another was we're going to raise the threshold so that you have to have 15 percent of the vote in any state in order to win delegates. Well, here's something that's fun. Pete Buttigieg, with 100% reporting, has 14% of the vote. But guess what? He won some delegates. Again, this is going to be like Iowa, where Bernie Sanders won the most votes in all the counts, but Pete Buttigieg ended up with more delegates. They're going to say delegate equivalents and things like that. And then just don't ask too many questions. Unbelievable. But here's the deal. 36 pledged delegates up for grabs in Nevada. What they've actually allocated right now, Bernie Sanders with 24, Biden 9, Pete Buttigieg with technically not a high enough percentage of the vote to qualify with three pledged delegates. But here's the thing, and this is what's important to watch in this process. It's still fewer for Bernie than half of the pledged delegates. Now, the first thing is, when you take a look at how this race is playing out, there are several resets. Remember the narrative coming off of the debate last week. Elizabeth Warren, perceived to have this great debate, didn't translate. Klobuchar, 
perceived to be on the rise after the first two state, nothing mattered in Nevada. And as for Biden, he desperately needed a better finish, and he got it. Second place finish. Okay, so now he is theoretically in the game. Barely, as they head towards South Carolina, which is his alleged firewall. But here's the thing. The race in pledged delegates is a race to 1990, which requires 50% plus one. Bernie Sanders, through the first three states, is leading 45 to 26 over Buttigieg. But guess what? He's only pacing 43%. So your leader in the clubhouse through Nevada is still a contested convention. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. What we see are epidemics in different parts of the world, affecting countries in different ways and requiring a tailored response. The sudden increase in new cases is certainly very concerning. All right, let me interpret. Holy crap. Yep, that's uh, that was the director of the WHO, the WHO. And, uh, you know, a case of corona, good, especially if it comes with Lyme. Case of the coronavirus, yeah, obviously not so much. And what we ended up getting over the weekend was the good, the bad, and the coronavirus ugly and you're going, good, how is there any, I'm going to break down some stuff because there's a lot of information out there that's not accurate. Surprise, surprise. And I spent some time doing some analytics on this. I am just that big of a dork. It's what I do for a good time and for content, especially for the local shows. So I wanted to bring you some real information and also you know, give you some context for what's going on. Likely uh, that the health departments in your state, why they're acting the way they are, having the conversations, and also the market today. You know, we saw the Dow down over a thousand points and, you know, what's really going on here and how did things suddenly get so out of hand or is it an overreaction? I've got some empirical information based on analytics to answer a lot of these questions. And I am the, uh, the guy who hangs out in South Florida and, uh, in, enjoys doing the uh, morning rush, uh, WJNO in West Palm Beach and then do the Bright Mud Show. WIOD in Miami. Always an honor and a pleasure being here with you. You may follow me on Twitter at Brian Mud Radio. Yeah, my Twitter account was verified for many years until a couple of weeks ago. And uh, then, poof, suddenly Twitter did not keep me verified anymore and will not give me a response. But at Brian Mud Radio is me, blue check mark or not. So let's get into this coronavirus thing for a second. By the way, the great one, he's back tomorrow, back from Israel, back from the uh, the incredible show, Life, Liberty, and Levin with uh, with BB last night, and uh, locked and loaded for you. But uh, taking a look at this you know, coronavirus situation, so last week, the question was whether the coronavirus outbreak had peaked, and uh, th- there seemed to be some optimism. 
that the threat was contained. And for the since t- first time since that outbreak began, you actually had the death rate for closed cases improve. Now, that's important when you're trying to figure out, okay, what is it that people out there anywhere around the world are monitoring? There are really two things, containment, but also closed cases. A lot of the reporting that's been out there has been inaccurate because when you hear about the number of people infected, the number of people that have recovered, the number of people have died, you need to take a look at everything in context. If you just take a look at the number of people infected, the number of people who died, you're not getting a true picture of what's real. So putting this whole ball of wax together for you, obviously the optimism by the end of last week, gone. As soon as we found out, hey, uh, we got some uh, cases here in South Korea. What the heck happened in Italy, huh? So a slew of new cases in South Korea and Italy suddenly became the whole crap moment. And all the optimism gone. Markets around the world selling off. Big sell-off here at home. So taking a look first at the good. And the good, the bad, and the coronavirus ugly. So the good is that despite the new cases, and this information is updated real-time as of about two hours and 40 minutes ago. So it's about as accurate as you will find. So despite uh, the, the new cases outside of containment zones, the overall death rate for those who've had the coronavirus is continuing to improve. So I'm, I talked about the misleading death rate estimates that are out there. It's because you have to account for everything in context, you have to take a look at what are called closed cases. And that means, bottom line is, if you had the coronavirus, did you recover from it or did it kill you? All right? And if you go back to three weeks ago, the death rate for closed cases, 20%. So, yeah, that meant that one in every five coronavirus patients died, four survived, and recovered. By last week, the death rate had improved from 20% to 12 all right? Decent progress, still scary as hell. Well, today, and again, as of just a few hours ago, it's down to 9%. So this means that just over 9 in 10 people who have had the coronavirus have recovered to completion. And fewer now than 1 in 10 have died from it. Okay, so that is the good. We have seen a significant improvement in death rates as there is earlier detection and whatever it is they're doing to deal with patients once they detect them earlier. The bad. A 9% death rate? That's still scary as hell, isn't it? Anyway, you slice it. And to give you an idea of how bad that death rate is, the death rate for the flu, all right? The flu kills at least 10,000 Americans per year. The death rate for the coronavirus at 9% is 18,000 times, 18,000 times worse of the coronavirus than the flu. In terms of mortality, it's the equivalent, if you get the coronavirus, of contracting the flu 18,000 times. You wrap your brain around that one for a minute, obviously bad. Then the coronavirus ugly. So you could say that what I just gave you was ugly enough, but there's actually another leg to this conversation, the what-if factor. So I mentioned that the flu kills at least 10,000 Americans per year. So already, the coronavirus has killed more than 2,600 people. And there are currently an additional 11,500-plus in critical condition right 
now with over 52,000 active cases. We have a country of 330 million people. You consider the downside risk if the coronavirus impacted in the U.S. in a way that at all resembled the traditional flu. And actually don't because you really don't want to travel down that path mentally, and that's the point. The coronavirus remains the worst viral threat in modern science. We have nothing we can compare it to. And what's more is if all the stars aligned, a vaccine might be deployed in about a year without any way of truly knowing if it would be effective. Not to mention, how many people would uh, raise their hands to be the uh, coronavirus guinea pig on that vaccine, huh? Now, when you take a look at how things, how entities, how governments, how your states, whatever, uh, why they're responding to things the way they are, well, that, that probably gives you some context for it. Now, I'll give you a little bit of an idea about the financial markets here for a second as well, because financial analytics also in my wheelhouse. And I just want to put all this together because, you know, a lot of people reacting on emotion, something I don't like to see. My first rule of money is never let your money and emotions cross paths. And there's a lot of that going on right now because of not having the information to make sound decisions. I do a weekly uh, story for my local stations called Hello Can Stocks Go? So I'm going to give it to you. When you take a look at where we stand, first, even with a huge sell-off today, Dow down over 1,000 points and the like, markets down over 3%. The Dow, the S&P 500 off 5%, NASDAQ off 6 Not the end of the world. That's from a record high. But it did escalate quickly between Friday and today. Now, you take a look at this coronavirus threat. The first thing that's real is, is it going to hurt American companies? Is it going to hurt the economy? Well, yeah, to a certain extent, it's already happening. It's already happening. So the question is, how much worse will it get? Now, one thing to keep in mind when you're talking about money and investments, there's far more to the equation than just taking a look and going, ooh, this is bad, therefore sell, or whatever the case may be. For example, what's going on from a market and analytics standpoint is you're actually in a position today where the Federal Reserve is less likely to consider raising interest rates. If anything, the Federal Reserve is more likely to cut them again in the future. That generally would be good for the market, good for investors. So that's one. The second is really coming into play with China phase two. One of the remarkable things that happened over the past few weeks, remember how the Democrats ended up saying, oh, the Chinese trade, trade with Trump, now it's never going to come to fruition. You know, first they told us, oh, you're, you're never going to be able to afford a Chinese-made widget again. Then that turned out to be bullcrap. Then they told us it was going to kill our economy because of the tariffs on the Chinese widgets. That didn't happen. Our economy only grew even stronger. But in response to Trump's policy, what did happen is China took it in the shorts, and it worked. Our economy continued to grow through Trump's pro-growth policies, while China took it in the shorts. So, yeah, they came to the table, said, let's do phase one, and boom, they did it. And a couple Fridays ago, guess what? They followed through. She, President Xi Jinping, did cut the tariffs on American goods in China. And he also said something else. Hey, let's get back to the table. And let's talk about the next phase of China trade. Because you might recall that, uh, well, they weren't going to do that until after the election. You know, this would be like uh, the Chinese version of, uh, of them as Obama. So like, she is, is Obama here. 
uh, telling uh, the Russians, yes, we will have more flexibility after the election. The Chinese wanted, wanted to wait Trump out. They don't want to do that anymore. They're already asking about China phase two. So again, there can be more to the story. It's not all bad because China's economy ain't going to hurt a heck of a lot worse than ours is right now. And that makes phase two of the China trade deal even more likely to occur than it would have without the coronavirus. So again, where you have these negative things that impact the markets, impact American multinational companies, uh, impact anything to do with economics, there always are bigger considerations in play. And there could be a couple positive catalysts if this thing doesn't completely spiral out of control. So keep that in mind. The other is perspective. And then again, this is where I never want your money and emotions to cross paths. Year to date, after a 30% run last year, the Dow is only down 2% for the year. The S&P 500 is flat. The Nasdaq's still up 3%. I mean, come on now. Not so bad. So keep things in perspective. It, it is key. And I'm not going to you know, get too far into the weeds with numbers here on this. But the bottom line is this. If you take a look at the S&P 500, the P.E. price to earnings ratio, you adjust for historical factors. I mean, if absolutely everything hit the fan which has only happened three times since 1900. And I mean, people just threw the baby out with the bathwater. The absolute downside risk would be 35%. And again, it's only happened three times since 1900. Uh, and so you know, the way I like to look at these things, if that did happen under the worst case scenario and you would not be able to live your day-to-day -day life, then you, know, you got some questions for your financial advisor. If, however, you would be all right, then those positive catalysts may be opportunities. You can take advantage of them. Uh, just in the context of there being two sides of stories, one side of facts, and me being your full-service analytics wonk over here, I'm Brian Mudd, and for the great one. Mud Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. We have a stark opportunity. I don't intend to miss it. I intend to do it. But the only way that I could do it is if I'm elected prime minister. So that's what I tell our voters. The other guy is dependent on, uh, on a, a joint Arab list that refuses to recognize the state of Israel and will certainly not support the, uh, uh, the Trump planet. 
Putting news from last night's Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News Channel. That's where the great one has been over in Israel with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. He will be back with you tomorrow with all kinds of great content and stories from the trip. And uh, they are getting ready in Israel for an unprecedented third national election inside of the last year. And the stakes are that great. You know, Bibi was talking about what the, the difference between him and Gantz represents. And ultimately... The opposition is aligned with the Arab bloc, the Arab bloc that has the interests, ultimately, of Palestinians and and not of Israel in mind. And just think for a moment where we would be if we began to lose Israel in the Middle East. You, You think about all the different facets of that region that come together. There's nothing more important in their place, and they wouldn't be there without our support. It is a partnership unlike any other, and it is critical, not just biblically, but in the most practical terms for stability in that region. Because we all know that if left to their own devices, Palestinians, Hamas, terrorists, could do what they want, Israel's gone. We all know that Iran left to their own devices, would eliminate Israel as quickly as possible. And we know these things because they've said as much, along with much of the rest of the Islamic world. Now, one of the things that some Westerners, some people that are not as versed in Israeli culture don't realize is that they've been a very compassionate people for a very long time. And so, you know, the Islamic faith is commonplace practice welcomed inside of the country. The problem becomes when that coalition decides, you know what? Yeah, we kind of like the uh, the Palestinians, you know, our our roots. Kind of, they pull us back in that direction. And yes, I understand that uh, you've been very good to me in this country, and I understand uh, that, uh, you know, that things are better here than they are, say, over there with Hamas. But still, you know, I mean, this whole Islam thing. And you know what Muhammad said, right? I mean, not really a lot of place in the world for people like you. But thank you for everything you've given us. So in this scenario, you have a lot of the Arab bloc that have been treated very well by Israelis in the government. And you have Hamas and you have Gantz that are coming together and seeking to pull together what would represent not just a threat to Israel, but to the United States and to the rest of the free world. And so this election, these stakes that are coming up uh, in Israel, as big as it gets, often understated, because again, in real terms, you're not going to have your godless souls and slanderous news media presented to you quite on the level like that. This third election inside of a year, this needs to be the one, and it needs to be Benjamin Netanyahu, Because quite literally, the future of Israel rides on it. And also, the stability for the rest of us. You know, freedom, talk about it not being free here in the United States. Lord knows they understand it in Israel. And hopefully, the people will end up realizing in a greater way than whomever adheres to the Arab bloc uh, to, to follow through with what is in the interest of the country and freedom around the world. One of the most uncomfortable truths about Islam when practiced under Sharia 
is that they want the infidels dead, whoever they are. And especially, uh, Jewish? Yeah. Woo! You're right there. Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, America's Paul Revere. Call him now at 877-381-3811. I'm bringing in Nir Barkat, who's the mayor of Jerusalem, who before that was a high-tech entrepreneur who made an enormous amount of money successfully. You know, I'm bringing him as my finance minister, and we're going to, uh, uh, you know, continue the Israeli success story for every single citizen of Israel. Today is Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu with the great one Mark Levin from last night's Life, Liberty in Levin on the Fox News Channel. The great one on his way back from Israel and uh, going to be back with all of us tomorrow evening and uh, going to have an incredible show lined up for you. Let's go to Benny in Miami. Benny, go. Hi, hello, uh, Brian. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm you. in Miami and... Uh... My girlfriend called me, and you know we uh, we've lived in Miami for many many years, for sixty years. Uh, I was born in Cuba. My parents were all European, uh, and we were very very well to do, and uh, we had a lot. And this guy come in, and he just took everything from everybody. He murdered and killed lots and lots of people. As a matter of fact, one of my friends who went to LaSalle High School here in Miami with me. He shot down in a plane and brought us to the rescue, Armando Alejandro. And uh, how could this guy, Sanders, say that uh, this guy is a good guy? You know, uh, Castro is a, is a communist. He's exported terrorism to South America many, many times. He's fought a war in another hemisphere. The only country besides America has fought a war in, uh, in Canada in another hemisphere, in, in, in Africa, you know. And uh, this guy just ran. I was there when it happened. They came to my house, took four cars from the garage, uh, took my father to jail. They stole everything we, fortunes we had in the industry of, uh, we knew uh, the very biggest people in Cuba. My grandfather did places like uh, the 1800 Club, uh, Tropicana. Uh, he did uh, many, many things. He did uh, Batista's Farm. Uh, many things. Uh, we had a big furniture, furniture, uh, business in, in, in Havana. And we were, we were very well to do. My father 
on his father's side, they they had a lot. They used to bring American shoes, uh, you know, uh, to, to Cuba, and we had huge amounts of, of uh, buildings and houses and rental properties. And this guy took everything. This guy, and we came here with a visa because we used to come every year, you know, for three months, two or three months. And there was a ferry. We used to come to Havana. Havana was full of Americans. Americans used to love Havana. They used to love Havana. I went to an American school called Lafayette. And I'm an American. I mean, I, I, I know more about America than, than I know about Cuba, but I do know a lot about Cuba. Yes, most and, immigrants and, do. And, and the, the influx that's coming now, it's a different, complete influx than the, than the people that were coming back in the 60s, the early 60s. Look what happened to Venezuela. You know, you know, uh, Chavez was giving uh, Castro 125,000 barrels a day of oil every day. Castro would keep half of it. The other, the other half, yeah. he, he'd put it in the government. So, Benny, uh, y- y- your point is extremely well taken, uh, and, and may God bless you and your family. And I hear the passion. And this, again, is, you know, for anybody who's listened to me during the course of, of guest hosting for The Great One, and I've talked about how immigrants from South Florida are going to save this country from itself because they've lived it. They know it. They understand what socialism and communism is. You get a taste of of what it is like. I'm in South Florida in the middle of this and hear from these people on a regular basis. It's that real. It's not socialism as social media and fun and games. It's not something that you toy around with. It's not some kind of utopia. It is evil. It leads to death and destruction and a lower quality of life for everybody except for those at the top. That's what socialism and communism is. And that's what the Democrat Party represents. Bernie Sanders is now their leader. That's why Democrats must be defeated. At the local level, they're part of the problem. You associate with the Democrat Party, this is your party. This is what you stand for. You've allowed this to happen. You must be defeated at the polls, period. This party needs to be destroyed so it can be recreated from scratch, something that doesn't resemble what it is today. It's the only way, uh, the only path forward at this point, because it is unacceptable for all the reasons he's talking about. Now, he talks about Venezuela, Cuba, everything else. Let's connect some dots for a moment. Venezuela per capita was the most prosperous country in the world about 20 years ago because of the oil. Most prosperous per capita. And today, you have people that eat out of the garbage. That's what socialism does and how quickly it happens and why we can never take it for granted in the United States. Remember, every superpower in world history, every empire in world history has collapsed. Why? Because somewhere along the way, some really bad decisions were made. And you can recover from a lot of things, but you can not recover once you give your freedom away. That's what happens in Cuba. That's what happens in Venezuela. That's what Bernie Sanders thinks is cool. And that's who's leading the Democrat Party. Any questions? And as for the hypocrisy of all these jack wagons in the party, Russia. You know, how, the, how dare he? Bernie was talking about this in the 60 Minutes interview. The, the Russia and the influence, and he's a friend of Putin and whatever, in so many words. 
You know what kind of horse crap that is? Again, he counts on you being stupid. Which I guess, you know, if typically you're watching a lot of mainstream news, like 60 Minutes, maybe, you know, just highly ill-informed, let's say. Who is Russia closely involved with? Do, 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 do. Oh, that's right, Cuba! Yep, uh, you see, Putin actually is pulling the strings in Cuba with the Castros right now. He's pulling the strings with Maduro in Venezuela. He's orchestrating that whole deal. Putin is keeping especially Maduro in Venezuela propped up right now. Isn't that an inconvenient truth? And who else are they aligned with? Oh, that's right. Iran. And who else? Oh, North Korea. And what about, oh, that's, yeah, the Chai comes. So here's the way this works. For those who are informed by something other than the godless souls and slanderous news media. Cuba is Venezuela, is Russia, is Iran, is North Korea, is China. And that's who Bernie Sanders supports. Because, hey, literacy, it wasn't all bad. Yeah, come on. Stig on some communism. How about it? Two sides of stories, one side of facts. Let's go to Jane in Winter Park, Florida. Jane, welcome to the show. Yes. Hello. I just wanted to say that uh, whenever uh, I hear the name Bernie Sanders, it takes me back to my childhood when I was a kid. And I remember Khrushchev banging his shoe on the table saying, we will bury you. And guess what? Bernie Sanders has the shovel, and it's been given to him by the Democrats, the communists, and the media. And you better vote for Trump. Amen. We'll leave it there. Well said. Let's go to Terry in Dallas, Georgia. Terry, go. Uh, good evening, Brian. Thanks for filling in for Mark. And, it's an uh, honor. Uh, not just Bernie is a socialist or and a Marxist, but the entire Democrat Party has been a Marxist party for at least 20 to 25 years, and possibly even going back to FDR. And sure. uh, the only difference between Bernie and the uh, average Democrat politician like Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer is that Bernie is an avowed Marxist, and he, he's let it be known that he's a basically a communist. And the Democrats are basically Fabian socialists that want to hide, hide their revolutionary tendencies. But you look how close this country came to Hillary Clinton being elected in 2016, and we would have had a socialist dictatorship imposed on this country under our very nose, right there in front of us. And nobody ever talks about Barack Obama and Frank Marshall Davis and Bill Ayers. And uh, if you want, if you go back and you study history, you'll say you'll look at and Mark's book on freedom of the press details a lot of this. The the press is basically they're communists too, they're Marxists as well. Because right. Lenin said that in order to take control of a society, the the, the 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 foremost political front was the press. You had to take over the press and use the press as the uh, appendage of the party in order to take control of society. And they do that with the schools, and they do that with the media. And the media, they're more, they're more Marxist than the, the Democratic Party to a degree. Terry, you nailed it. You absolutely uh, knocked it out of the park there. And uh, 
reference to errors earlier in the show in part for the reasons that you're talking about. So let me connect the dots since you're talking about this going back to FDR. You're right, and then a little bit more because it goes back really – there's one thing, and it really annoys me because I am actually a conservative environmentalist. You know, the real kind that actually cares about the environment, not somebody who goes out there and protests for, you know, carbon taxes, uh, but but somebody who actually likes making a difference, like in South Florida and the Everglades and the like, our waterways, that type of thing. So along those lines, uh, you do have Teddy Roosevelt, the environmentalist. Uh, there are elements of that that I think are kind of cool, national parks and the like. But then you also have the big government elements, the progressive elements. He did come up with my all-time uh, favorite saying, that complaining without providing a solution is called whining. My all-time favorite Teddy Roosevelt quote. Amazing stuff. I keep it posted in my office. But there was also something that Teddy Roosevelt also gave us. When his ego got in his way, and he split away from the Republicans, and he went to Bull Moose, gave us, ultimately, Woodrow Wilson. And it's kind of like Ross Perot paving the path for Bill Clinton to win an election. Thank you both, guys. Anyway, uh, Woodrow Wilson was really the gateway to what you're talking about. FDR was the one who completed the pass. So progressive policies were working their way into our society. You started to have government, deep state actors of the era work their way in during that um, Wilson administration. And by the time FDR got a hold of things, without a doubt, I mean, holy cow, we didn't have one federal assistance program, not one government assistance program prior to FDR. And then suddenly half the federal government is government assistance programs. I mean, overnight inside of his administration. Pretty remarkable. So yes, this has been decades in the making. It's been the long game that the left has been playing. And that is where we stand today with somebody who is an overt socialist saying, hey, you know, it wasn't all bad with Castro and Cuba. I mean, literacy. And he gave them books. Who doesn't like to read? I mean, come on. See all the positives? Let's go to Judy in Brooklyn. Judy, go. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I want to say a couple of things. Number one, Sweden, they tried socialism for 20 years. It absolutely failed. They abandoned it. They're back to capitalism. And two, do you remember, Brian, like 11 years back, not that long ago, Van Jones was one of the czars? Yes, green he, job czar. He was outed as a communist, so he had to resign. Well, guess what? Now he and all the rest are loud and proud. No more hiding. But I think this is a revolution where we're fighting Judeo-Christian values against commie, socialist, radical Islamists. It's like... Well, sure. Now, you're right. I mean, Van Jones wouldn't be just the green job czar as he was under the Obama administration. In the Sanders administration, he could actually be the uh, Secretary of Commerce. I mean, he could be running the whole uh, show. And, you know, and again, with the empirical numbers that have provided based upon the ratings, if you take a look at the percentage of progressivism that the individuals represented, Barack Obama, 66% progressive. In other words, 66 times out of 100 policy decisions, he would choose government over the individual. Well, Bernie Sanders is 97%. To give you an idea about completing the communist pass, as you did have a communist green jobs are under the two-thirds Obama. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud love in.
AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Weinstein is a vicious, serial, sexual predator who used his power to threaten, rape, assault, trick, humiliate, and silence his victims. The uh, Manhattan DA with Weinstein, Weinstein, Harvey going down on uh, two of the five charges. Hopefully, uh, by the time the sentencing is done, he'll die behind bars. Uh, So that happened today as well. You you do wonder to a certain extent on the other charges. Maybe we'll hear more about that. Heard about a hung jury on at least two or or three of those particular charges. But nevertheless, this should be enough, provided that it wasn't all an act. His fragility as he tried to make himself look as pathetic and incompetent going in and out of the courtroom as possible. But it's also a um, a reminder about uh, something else that can come into play, and uh, that is deception. And we've been talking about that largely throughout the course of the night tonight. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Uh, by the way, my uh, Twitter handle, at Brian Mudd Radio, you may follow me there. And uh, it has been the Democrat Party for quite some time. It's about deception, not unlike Hollywood and Weinstein and, and all of them. You know, they uh, they they make their own rules. And they live by them. And they expect you to be ignorant and to live by a different set of circumstances. And heaven forbid anything upsets upsets their little world. And when you talk about Bernie Sanders, now the leader of the Democrat Party, we talked about the long game. Previous segments, talking about going all the way back to Woodrow Wilson. That was the groundwork being laid for where we are today in this party and part of the reason it needs to go away. There's also something else that was critical. I've talked about this a lot over the course of time with the Department of Education. You had the Supreme Court that ruled for the elimination of faith in schools back in the 60s, sure. But you had a lot of schools across the country because there wasn't the central planning unit of the Communist Party in this country, still a lot of schools that did their own thing. And faith was a big part of it, especially in parts of the South and the Midwest. So they had to do one more thing. And that was the elimination of God in the, in the classroom and faith in our society generally. Notice the lack thereof with said Sanders. But here's an interesting thing about faith in politics in 2020. If you're generally politically engaged, you are probably aware of a couple of generalities. Those who are most closely connected to their faith tend to vote for Republicans and those who aren't Democrats 
Now, that remains the case again in 2020, but there are actually several le levels of, of additional context that we can consider. There's a new study just published in the Journal for the Scientific Study of Religion. And consistent with recent research, we do have 23% of adults in 2020 that are not connected to any faith. It's by far the highest number on record. By the way, when this was first studied back in the 50s, you had just 5% that were not connected to a faith. But here's the interesting thing. When you take a look at those who don't adhere to a particular faith, they are less likely to have any political engagement. So Democrats playing to the nuns, to the faithless, probably ever playing their hand. Gray One is back tomorrow. Brian Mudd, always an honor and a pleasure being here for Mark Levin. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 